God bless you. Give you a cool welcome this morning. <laughs> I'd rather be here than the best hospital in Adelaide. Yeah? Um, Andrew Jenkins, bro our dear brother Andrew, was going to do communion this morning, was going to lead us in communion, but because of that family situation, he rang me early and said, can you help us out? So um, I'm, going to do, I'm going to lead us in communion, but at the end of the sermon, because I think it just might fit in uh, better uh, there for us uh, this morning. So we, uh, the family services, which we hold on the, the beginning of each month, um, Pastor Ben has said, how about those who are speaking, speak about the practicalities that come out of the parables. And that's what that little booklet sort of speaks about. So have a, have a glance at that later on. Um, and so I'm, I get the privilege of speaking on the first of the parables. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 16, please. We're not going to read it straight away, but I'd like you to have your Bibles uh, open there and ready there. Luke chapter 16. And it's the parable of the unjust steward. It's one that is a, a, um, intriguing. And I hope to uh, share it with you and explain it to you. Luke chapter 16. And we'll read it in just a minute. But just as a preface, let me say... The greatest theme in the whole of the Bible, the greatest theme that runs from the beginning to the end is the theme of salvation, how we have been separated from God, how God uh, sent his son Jesus who died for our sins and in receiving him as our Lord and Saviour, we become saved, we're saved, we're born again and we're able to spend eternity uh, with, in heaven with our Lord God. That's the greatest theme in the Bible. But there are literally hundreds, probably thousands of other themes. And they address how to live. They address marriage. They address raising children. They address money. They address how to get on with those that you live with and work with whole lots of other themes and these parables uh, grab hold of some of those themes and expound them to us and that's what I want to do today. This parable in Luke 16, the beginning of Luke 16, the first 10 or 12 verses, speaks about trustworthiness, speaks about integrity, speaks about diligence and honesty, and faithfulness. Now, I dare say that every one of us here wants to be successful in the things that we put our hands to. I certainly do. Does anyone here want to be a failure at your job, a failure at your life, a failure uh, with your kids? None of us wants to do that. We want to be successful. And in this parable, we see some Fantastic hints about how to be successful. Success has many components 
and so does failure really, but not just one thing will lead to success. Not just five things will lead to success. I sometimes think when you kick your car over, when you leave church today, you'll put the key in the ignition, you'll kick it over. And you know, about a hundred things need to happen and they all need to happen well for you to be able to drive home. And so it is with success in life. You can't just say, if I had money, I'd be successful, or if I worked hard, I'd be successful, or if I didn't drink, or if I stayed away from drugs, I'd be successful. It needs a whole lot of things to come together. And this wonderful capacity that we have, Sunday by Sunday, of coming together, reading God's Word, sharing God's Word, just adds, here's a hint, here's a hint, here's a hint, here's another hint, and go out and have a successful life. So let's read Luke 16. Uh, I'll read it to you, and then I'm going to pull it apart, you know, maybe verse by verse. Now, a steward in this, my version, I'm using the New King James, steward means a manager. It's not someone who serves you drinks and food. It's a manager of a property in this case. So let me read to you. And so what we're reading is that this steward became a crook and he got the sack. And we're going to work out why he got the sack. So let me read. This is Jesus talking. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, a manager. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What's this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. You got the sack, mate. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'm going to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their house, or houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first one, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to the other one, how much do you owe? He said, I owe a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, quickly, take your bill and write 80. So the master, now here's a tricky verse here, the master commended the unjust steward, because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into their everlasting habitations. And here's the crux of what we're on about today. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. 
Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, we'll talk about what that is, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either will he will hate the one and love the other, or he will also or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So let's undo that and see what it says to us. So verse 1 uh, says that this steward was wasting the goods of his master. I looked up the Greek word. I won't tell you what it is. It's a long word. But what it means is that he was squandering his master's uh, goods, dissipating. Dissipating means, you know, you've got it there, and next thing you know, it's all over there. Uh, squandering, dissipating, and scattering his master's goods. So he was a manager who maybe one day, when he got the job, he was good, and he was diligent, and he was hardworking. But something happened, and he became wasteful and slack and sloth. Now, the master heard about it from other people. The word got around that this guy was playing funny games with the master's money. Let me tell you something in case you hadn't realised that word always gets around, for good or for evil. If you do a great job, the word gets around. If you do a lousy job, people are a bit reluctant to talk about it, but the word gets around and people in their you know, nice little off to one side, the word gets around, this guy's lazy. The word gets around. So he started well, but he lost it. He wouldn't have got the job, I guess. He wouldn't have kept the job if he didn't do a good job. What happened? Of course, we don't know. Maybe he got involved in gambling. You know, gamble responsibly. Well, he didn't hear that bit. He went out and just blew the money. And then he got into trouble, so he said, I'll take the money to the race course and I'll double it and it'll all be okay. Well, of course, it doesn't happen that way, does it? <laughs> uh, maybe he got into drugs. You know, there's, uh, I, I talk to people who, who do know because they're in the system. There's an unbelievable amount of drugs floating around Adelaide. Unbelievable amount. You and I, we, we just live in a different world, but there are people out there just constantly um, drugged. You know, we, we just see the tip of the iceberg in the advertiser or the news, but there's so much out there. Uh, similarly with alcohol. Uh, I know you all fairly well, and I don't think any of you are alcoholics, not that I know about anyway. I don't smell it on your breath when you come to church. So this guy, we don't know, but he got started all right, but he got lost along the way. Somewhere, somehow, instead of gathering, he started dissipating. So the master, in verse 2, says to him, look, come, sit down with me, bring the books. I want to go through the books and give an account of your stewardship. Come and sit down. He said, let's find out what's going on. 
bring the account books because I can't trust you anymore. I need to see what's written. Your word, which used to be your bond, is no good anymore. Bring the books. So this guy, in verse 3, steward said within himself, what am I going to do? My master is uh, chucking me out of the job. He says, I cannot dig and I'm ashamed to beg. <laughs> he, he was either lazy or maybe he was 60 years old or something, you know, he can't dig. And ashamed to beg, I can understand that easily. So what am I going to do? Then he comes up with this idea. And you know, in all of this story, there's not one hint of repentance. In this story, he's found out and his, his, his crookedness is found out and then he gets even more crooked. So what he does is he calls the debtors, the ones who owe his master. And he says to the first one, how much do you owe? He said, I owe him a hundred measures of oil. And he said, quickly, sit down and write that you owe 50. And I'll sign off on that, that you owe 50. So no repentance, no, oh, I've been caught out. He just got himself in deeper and deeper. Because what was he doing? He was thinking of the future. Uh, when, when he was out of a job, he couldn't go down to Centrelink because the office wasn't open then. And he said, I need these people. I'm going to go to them and they're going to owe me because I let them off the hook. So he said to the next one in verse 7, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take a bill and write it 80. You know, I, I pondered a little bit on in verse, um, in verse 6, the word quickly. Why would he do it quickly? Because the walls were collapsing on him and he needed to move fast. So sometimes things done quickly are uh, you know, a little bit shonky. You need to think your way through things, I think. Anyway, so write down 80. Now, verse 8 is a funny one. The master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. What does this mean? Well, the master didn't commend him for his dishonesty because he was still getting the sack. But he did say to himself, I reckon he said something like this. He said, well, how about that? You know, I'd never thought of that myself. <laughs> how about that? You are a smart guy. You're still a crook, but you're smart. But you're still sacked. <laughs> the guy had foresight for the future. And then it goes on to say the latter part, the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, what do you reckon that means? Uh, you know, I haven't got a definitive, but I, I think it means something like this. that The sons of this world, that means in our context, non-Christians, are more focused on making money, more opportunistic to grab opportunities, more uh, hungry than maybe your average Christian would be for the things of this world. Because you and I 
comprehend and understand that money isn't everything. Yes, we need money. Of course we need money to put petrol in the car and put food on our tables and to have a bed to sleep in. We need that and we need to work for it. But more than that, we need to have a relationship with God. We understand that. I hope we understand that. I hope every one of us understands that. And so people out in the world, they're, they're uh, what's the word, motivated by the things they can touch and see and feel and look at and drive and uh, you know fly in. That's their motivation. But I would hope, and I would pray, really, that my motivation and yours would be to know the Lord and to serve the Lord and to honour the Lord, to make him the first in our life. Yes, we all need those other things, but what we need more than anything is to honour the Lord and serve him. Can I remind you of that today? Look, you know, did you notice petrol's up to 139 this morning? It was down to 117. It was a pleasure to fill the car at 117. Now, oh, I'm not so sure about now. So we need all of those things. But first and foremost, we need to love the Lord and honour the Lord. So the guy got the sack and he was out getting on with his life. And then Jesus goes on to throw a little bit more light on this. And here's, here's the lessons for us this morning. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So translated, that means that if you can be trusted in the small things of life, when no one's looking, when you're by yourself, when you don't have to account to anyone, if you can do the right thing, if I can do the right thing in those small things, then the big things, there's a very, very, very strong chance that when I tackle the big things, that I'll take the same attitude, the same commitment into the big things. And then he, he says the flip side of that is if you can't be faithful in he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. So let me put it in English. If you cheat your boss of $10, you will also cheat your boss of $1,000 if the opportunity arose or you'll make the opportunity. If you cheat your boss by taking a heap of biros and pencils home, we'll cheat our boss when it's something really big. You know, some years ago when my brother Nick and I worked with uh, unemployed people, we did some recruitment for Drake supermarkets. We recruited trainees, young people, for Drake supermarkets. And one of the, one of the guest speakers we had was the head of security for Drake supermarkets. And you might think that the head of security is going to be a big, beefy guy with muscles on his muscles. It was actually an old lady, uh, looked like someone's grandma, you know. She was 60, 65, but 
uh, she spoke at a couple of our train, a few of our training courses, more than a couple. And I wouldn't want to tackle her. <laughs> I, I worked that out. I wouldn't want to get into, get into a biff with her. Anyway, she said one of the things they did, one of the things they did to test people's honesty was that they would deliberately leave $20 laying around somewhere where there were new employees. If the new employees picked up the 20 and handed it in and said, look what I found on the floor, then they... Beauty. If the, uh, if the employee, or new employee, put it up and slipped it into their pocket, they thought, we'll be watching you, pal. So if, you, if you're unfaithful in 20, they'll be unfaithful in the 500 as well. They'd work that out. So, small things when no one is looking. Uh, one of the laments that we used to hear when we did this recruiting, not just for Drake's but for everyone, was that it was, it's very hard to find faithful staff. Uh, if you can find a faithful staff member, diligent and faithful, grab them with both hands because so many are not faithful and so many are not diligent. And you can train someone who, who is faithful and diligent, even if they don't know the job. You can train them. But if they walk in with a character flaw, you can't train them because that character flaw is going to manifest itself sooner or later. So faithful in small things. Let me tell you the small things that I'm thinking of. Truthful, doing things right, doing things on time. When you give your word, is your word your bond? Showing initiative. All of these sorts of things uh, added together make for faithful. So, I'll read that verse again. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. So just think about your work situation. Um, are you faithful in the small things? If you are, there's a great future for you. If you're not faithful in the small things, uh, there's not a huge future for you. Verse 11. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, which in this context means money and business dealings, that's when Jesus spoke about mammon, that's what he was talking about. He said, those things out in the world. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And what he was saying was, true riches is not money. Now, you ask, you, you do a survey of a hundred people in Rundle Mall and ask them what true riches are. And they'll say, oh, a thousand bucks or 50,000 bucks. But Jesus is saying, true riches are spiritual things, spiritual qualities. Love of God, peace with God, peace with your wife and your husband, peace with your kids, peace with those that you work with, a knowledge of God, a place of worship in God. He said, that's the true riches. But what he was also getting at here was this. If you make a mess of your money and your career, I, I, now I'm putting my little 
two bobs worth here. If you have an absolute disaster in the way you handle unrighteous mammon, who is ever going to commit to you spiritual, true riches? And, you know, I've, looking back, I've been in the kingdom a long time and I've, I've dealt with and had, had relationship with thousands and thousands of people. And I, li- I mean that, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. And the people who, the people who, who make a mess of their work life and who make a mess of their finances and who make a mess of their diary and make a mess of their commitments, they never get anywhere in the kingdom of God because the things that they mess up there, they mess up here as well. Now, I know there's always exceptions. You know, you can prang your car and you can be desperate for, desperate for some money. I know that happens with everybody. But I'm talking over a long period of time if you're continually going from crisis to crisis, you haven't got much of a grasp on the true riches of this world. Let's move along. Verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So another man's means when you're working for someone. If you haven't been faithful in... uh, in giving accounts, you know, when, when you work for someone else, you've got to be there on time, you've got to put in your day's work, you've got to be honest, you've got to work in a team. If you can't make it there, in a sense, when someone's looking over your shoulder and asking you to, you know, give account of your time and your day, uh, if you can't do it when you're given orders to follow... I don't follow orders. Who does he think he is? Well, I'll tell you who he thinks he is. He thinks he's the boss. That's who he thinks he is. Um, if, if, if you can't flow into it and be a team player, uh, you're in trouble. If you, uh, the corollary is this. If you can't be a follower, you can't be a leader. That's what he's saying here. Let me say that again, verse 12. If you can't be a follower, you can't be a leader. I'll read verse 12. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? I've I've seen that everywhere. So we ought to teach our kids, I think, as parents, if you have kids, if they're young, teach them about teamwork, teach them about obedience, teach them about getting along with other people. I had a bit of a chuckle to myself. I thought there's a, there's a famous tennis player right at this moment who plays for Australia. And, you know, tennis is an individual sport. You don't really have to be a team member. You can just get out there with your racket and, and make a million bucks <laughs> if you're good enough. Well, this guy doesn't know how to play on a team. I'm not going to mention his name. Might get into trouble. But he doesn't know how to work in a team. And so... Half of Australia is laughing at him because of his pout and his manner. So we ought to teach our kids to work when someone is giving them a job to do. Yeah, submit to it. If the coach says you run around the oval five times, then run around the oval five times. Don't whinge and complain. Just do it, son. And then one day you might become a leader yourself. 
So, the last part of this, verse 13, says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. And the key to that verse is, you cannot serve God and mammon. So how does that apply to us this morning? Uh, every one of us here, or not everyone, but most of us here have jobs. Most of us here have to get to work at a certain time, put in a day's work and then knock off. Let me suggest to you that our heart really should be firstly in the Lord's work and that our jobs are just a means to support us while we're doing the Lord's work. Yes, it is very desirable to, do, to be good at our jobs. It's very desirable to be successful at our jobs. But really, we're there as a missionary for the Lord, whether it be in a school, at a university, with the students, in an engineering shop, or wherever, wherever. We're there primarily as missionaries for the Lord and the fact that we earn money doing it is just a bonus, uh, in my humble opinion. So, even though our hearts are focused on God's, word, uh, God's work, each of us works out there in the real world. And there's a great place waiting for us out there, for us to exercise our faithfulness, our diligence, our honesty, our caring, uh, as, uh, as Christians, we're out there being faithful and honest. I just want to quickly refer to two characters in the Bible. Each of them could really have about ten sermons each, but I'll just mention them quickly. Uh, men who were faithful and who rose to positions of great leadership. One was Daniel. Uh, you may remember Daniel uh, stolen from Babylon when he was a teenager, taken across to... Uh, stolen from Jerusalem and taken across to Babylon, I'm sorry, to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was said of Daniel that he had an excellent spirit. That means he was faithful. It means he was honest. It means he was diligent. It means he had initiative in, in this context here. And Daniel found himself over a period of time right up at the top advising the king, Nebuchadnezzar, advising him. And how did he get there? He had an excellent spirit. And I encourage us all to have an excellent spirit. That's what I'm on about this morning. And the second one I'd mention, again, he could, he could get ten sermons, is Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. He was upright. He was honest. He was incorruptible. He had a, a can-do attitude. Uh, when he was, when he was uh, attempted, attempted seduction by Potiphar's wife, he said, no, I'm not, not going to be part of that. Would have been so easy. No one's looking, you know. It gets around. So he finds himself in prison. Is there any bitterness there? No. He gets in and he says, God... You got me here, I'm going to do my very best. Next thing we find, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Why? Because he had that attitude that took him to the top. And Pharaoh understood it, and Pharaoh recognised it. Our institutions today 
need top quality Christian men and women leading them. Wherever you are, they are desperate for good Christian leadership. They wouldn't, they wouldn't articulate it that way. They'd rather have an honest, diligent, faithful person than a dishonest alcoholic who took drugs on the weekend and came to work on Monday out of his head or out of her head. Our institutions need top quality Christian men and women. Do you ever wonder about the craziness that's coming out from some of our government departments? You know, about gender and, you know, how can that be? Let me tell you how I think it can be. These are, these are the people leading these departments now are in their 60s. And they were men and women who did university in the 70s, in the 80s, when the Marxists were really powering forward. And these young university students at the time were indoctrinated with Marxism. And now 20 and 30 and 40 years later, they're in charge of government departments and they're spewing their Marxism that they were taught and, and, and brainwashed uh, 30 and 40 years ago. I am absolutely convinced that committed Christians, diligent Christians, faithful Christians will shine out in the workplace and the people making the decisions will look at them and say, this guy is good, this girl is fantastic, let's promote them. Just a couple of quick points and I'm going to finish. Um, here's some reasons why Christians ought to be the top employees in any organisation. Reason one is that we have within us the life-giving spirit of God within us. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in my life and in your life. And so when... When we walk into a place, when I walk into a place, I bring with me the presence of God. And that's a life-giving spirit. It says, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it'll give life to your mortal bodies. So when you walk into a workplace, you can be taking with you the spirit of God. Second reason that we can rise to the top, it says in Colossians chapter 3, do everything you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So when you're in a workplace, you're not there just there for the boss, you are there for the boss. But more than that, you're there as a servant of the Lord and you're working for the Lord heartily as unto the Lord. So you've got a different agenda than the person working alongside of you. They're doing it for the money or they're doing it for the glory, but you're doing it for the Lord. Third thing. Uh, that re uh, Christians ought to rise. We understand more than many the nature of mankind. We understand sinfulness because a lot of people out there don't call it sinfulness. We understand sinfulness. We understand uh, brokenness. We understand heavy burdens in people's lives. And so we can minister into those situations. Fourthly, 
overwhelmingly, Christians are not into excesses, like alcohol and drugs and gambling. Overwhelmingly. I know there's always exceptions. You can say, yeah, well, my brother's sister's uncle's next-door neighbour was a Sunday school teacher, but he was a raging alcoholic. I know there's all of those. But I look around here and I see people, and the, most of the people that I know as Christians are not into uh, big time, into alcohol and drugs and gambling. So they go to work with clear heads and clear hearts, and they're able to give the best. Another reason, fifth reason, just two more after this, Sunday by Sunday, Sunday by Sunday, plus at home fellowship, plus in your daily Bible readings, you're reading about and hearing about principles of success. How to break through. How to get up when you're knocked down. How to call on the name of the Lord. We hear these things, these motivational talks, Sunday by Sunday. Home fellowship by home fellowship. And in our readings and our fellowship with the Lord, we hear about how to be successful. Sixthly, communion each Sunday. We are encouraged to examine our lives. And we're going to do that in just a minute. Examine your life. It says in Psalm 139, we touched on it last week, search me, O God, and know my heart. And lastly, or seventhly, we learn more and more and more how to get along with people. One of the greatest qualities that we can have, learning to get along with people. We learn about grace. We learn about forgiveness. We learn about long-suffering. We learn about love. And if we can grasp hold of those things and apply them in our life, we can go out to our workplace, to our sporting club, and we can take those beautiful, beautiful qualities with us. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, and verse 2, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So I encourage us all in the things that we are stewards of, whether it be our family, our work, our studies, whatever it is that we put our hands to, let's be faithful in them. Be faithful in the small things. You might find yourself promoted, 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 and we can get rid of some of these Marxist uh, departmental heads. So let's commit ourselves in every endeavour, work and family and church, to be faithful and diligent to the call of God. You with me? Yeah, let's do it. We should shine because our lives are different than others. I know there's a lot of good people out there. I understand that. But they don't have these things, these qualities that I touched on. They don't have all of them in the same package. Let's bow our heads.